Thank you, Charlotte. <clears throat> well, as I mentioned <clears throat> already before, <clears throat> um, on the 31st, we are going to have lunch. And yeah, I suppose it's, gear t- it's geared towards those who haven't worshipped with us before, but it, it, it's also it's for anybody. Any, you might have been here for 20 years and think, you know what, I've always wanted to know. I'm curious about this thing that we don't get a chance to cover on Sunday morning, um, you know, or a history or something. And so be a part of that. You don't have to sign up for anything. Everything that we're going to do, uh, all the stuff we're going to use is going to be able to be used for other things, for other ministries that we have. So we're not going to waste anything. So you don't have to sign up. Um, just you, if someone's here, you know, if you, if, if you brought somebody to this church, both of you, all right, the whole family, you know, it's going to be all right. Uh, go ahead and do that. If it's just me and one other person, hey, um, that's fine. We'll have lunch and we'll talk. That's, that's the whole point. If it's me and the rest of the ministry staff, we'll probably awkwardly look at each other and go home. That's, you know, but... Um, hopefully you'll be there for that or people will be there for that. I want people to have an opportunity to know what the church is. The elders have been talking about this. Um, uh, a few of the elders are actually putting together this working plan throughout 2021. And we're going to talk about that a little bit next week as we look at where we are going. Today, though, we look at what we've learned, what we've learned. Uh, turn with me to James chapter 1. And while you're doing that, James chapter 1, let me ask you a question. I don't know if you've ever had to do this, uh, but have any of you ever had to uh, fix the gallbladders? Anybody? Have you ever woken up and someone has said, hey, you got to fix the gallbladders on the house? No, no one? No one's ever? That's interesting. Because, because I had to this past weekend. Uh, I had to yesterday. Um, you know, we got a bunch of rain and ice on New Year's Day. Wasn't New Year's Day lovely? Wasn't that just a love? We tried to, we even tried to be outside. We were outside for an hour, but the actual ice started caking onto Sam's coat and, and freezing up his coat. I was like, all right, Sam, we got to go inside. Um, but anyway, the rain and the ice and all this stuff coming down, and, you know, and, and for some reason, somehow, Sam had thrown a ball up into the gutters, gallbladders. He's looking out the back door, and it's pouring out over the top. And Sam, just matter-of-factly, and that's what I loved about it, he didn't even look. He didn't look at me. He didn't look at that. He just pointed his thumb. He's like, Dad, you got to go fix the gallbladders. I said, the gallbladders? What are you talking about, Sam? The gallbladders are overflowing. I said, buddy, I said, those aren't the gallbladders. I said, those are, the, those, those are the gutters. And he starts cracking up when I said gutters. I said, those are gutters. He seems laughing. I said, what's so funny? He says, oh, the udders, the udders. So I was working with udders and gallbladders uh, this past weekend. <clears throat> I didn't want to. That wasn't anything I wanted to do. And I, I got news for you. You don't always get what you want, right? We know that. We've learned that over this past year. Same was true with Christmas morning. Ashley and Sam went to mom and dad for Christmas, and 
we lost power, so I stayed at the house. 364 other days this could have happened, right? All right? I mean, it's, but, of course, Christmas morning. Uh, so we had to stick around, fiddle around with that for a couple of hours. Uh, but you don't always get what you want. Sometimes you do get what you need, right? That's, that's what Mick Jagger says. Uh, you don't always get what you want, which is really kind of a dark song I thought about in between services, so it's probably not a good example, okay? But you don't always get what you want. Sometimes you get what you need. We needed to fix the gallbladders, and we needed to get the electric ready. We needed to get the electric done, so it wasn't going to happen again. Look, this past year, we didn't get what we wanted. I don't know about you, but there was a lot of things I didn't want. I didn't want to miss out on... on our children's ministry. I didn't want to miss out on meeting together. I didn't want to miss out on, on some of the fellowship and just joyful times that we can have throughout the year. I'll tell you, the biggest kick in the stomach was, was VBS. I, I hated that. You talked about just bringing me down. It was, I, was, I hated that. There's a lot of times we don't get what we want. However, as difficult as this past year has been for some, for some it's been difficult, for some it's been hard, right? For some, it's been uncertain. For some, it's actually been hard. Uh, as, as difficult as it is, there are some things that we can take away and some things that we can learn. We either learn from this past year or we can be reminded. I've had some really strange conversations this past year. And through these things, we can learn even more. <clears throat> James chapter 1 says this, starting in verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I haven't gotten to that place yet where I face difficulty and adversity and consider it pure joy. Pure joy, right? This is fantastic. This is the best thing that could have possibly happened. You know, something else unique about this verse, I think, everybody likes to read through this verse and quote this verse when they're not actually going through anything hard, right? When they're not actually going through difficulty, boy, everybody's talking about James chapter 1. You know, this is the best thing for you. This is good. You should thank, you should count your blessings because of the growth you're going through and all of the wonderful things that happen through this difficulty and adversity. It's actually in the middle of hardship. It's in the middle of struggle, <clears throat> when we need to consider verses like this, this truth that God gives us, and the, the fact that this builds our character, it builds our perseverance, it builds our faith, and it helps us grow. Over the past couple of, or over the past year, we've learned or been reminded of a few things, and the first thing is this. This is point number one that we've been reminded of. <clears throat> number one, this building we're in, I don't want to downplay this because this is a tremendous gift. This, this building, this facility, we have used this for many things. You've used this for many things. Your family's used this facility for many things. The community, the county have used this facility for many different things. And it's wonderful. It is a gift from God, and it's a gift through you. It's a gift from God through His church. Many, many people have, have work all the time and in, in, in upkeep and care for this place and these facilities. Russ could make you a list of just all the things. Addison could just write down all these things that have to happen throughout the year to kind of 
keep this thing going and keep this place up to date. It's 20 years old at this point. Not only that, but ministries have taken place inside of here. Lives have been changed. If you see in your bulletin today, don't tell me last year was a bad year. Don't tell me last year was a bad year. Last year was probably one of the greatest years in all of existence for some people. Don't tell me last year was a bad year. It was difficult, but it wasn't bad. There are people who gave and people who built, had a hand in this building, in this place, who aren't even here anymore. People have died. People have gone to different churches. People have moved away. This, this, this building we're in is a tremendous gift. We need to be appreciative of this. We need to have a heart of gratitude when we look at the blessings that God has given us. However, something that we were reminded of this year, the church is not these four walls, right? Church isn't these four walls. Don't get attached to things, right? I'm telling you, tomorrow you could raise this church to the ground, this building, and it wouldn't destroy the church. What would it be? It would be inconvenient. It would be difficult. It'd be, I'd be out of a job. It would be sad. I wouldn't have a place to work. Katrina would get a few days off. Nice. But it doesn't destroy the church. The church is not these four walls. We do not, you've heard this before, we do not just go to church or go to the church. You are the church wherever you go. You're going to leave this place and you're going to go home or you're, tomorrow you're going to go to work or you're going to go to lunch or you're going to go to your hobbies or you, whatever it is. And you are going to be the church wherever you are, working inside and outside of the kingdom of God. The church goes with you. Isn't that fascinating? And I think the church is a beautiful picture of the unity of the triune God. Each individual person of God, completely God in and of himself. You are the church no matter where you go, even if you're separated from your brothers and sisters from this room. You are fully and completely the church, ministering to the church, for the church, by the church. It's an incredible organization you're a part of. But it's not these four walls. We had a time of meeting online rather than in person. And most of you remember this. I think all of you remember this. For seven weeks or eight weeks, something like that. Um, by the way, I've mentioned this before, and I need to mention it again. Uh, Nate Du Bois, uh, Cody Cottle, and, and Wes Ramsey. Now, others as well. Okay, don't get me wrong. But during those seven or eight weeks, guys, seriously, they, they put this church on their back and they carried this church. Uh, ben, Luke, guys like that. They came in here and they, they did these things I had no idea how to do. And they carried this, okay, so that we continue to fellowship and so that we continue to meet. Uh, and, but, I, you know, we, we were separated for a while. <clears throat> the first time I preached uh, specifically and only to the camera was kind of fun because it was something new. I got tired of it about the second time, all right? I hated that. I hated it. it, it is, this is the payoff, by the way, all right? Just so you know. I love preaching. I just slog through and put up with the other six days of the week just so we can get to this. This is the fun part. I like preaching. I like Bible studies. I like this. That's that's dessert. And man, I'll tell you, those seven or eight weeks wasn't nearly as much fun. But churches all over the world did this. Some are still doing this, meeting online. And the church is still here. Church, there is nothing that the world is going to throw at the church to destroy it. This is a promise. Sometimes we think that the world's going to destroy the church. Sometimes we think the circumstances are so bad 
that the church can never exist or can never get back to this place where they exist and work and love and minister throughout the world. Every time a prophet in Scripture says something like that, God says, no, there's more. There's a lot more you don't see. There's more happening all over the world that you have no idea what's going on, Elijah. Every time people say that, God says, no, I've got this well in hand. It doesn't matter if it's in this building, church. It doesn't matter if it's in this building. That's just location, all right? That doesn't have anything to do with theology or ecclesiology or eschatology. It just has something to do with geography. That's it. Everything else, everything else can be taken away, but the church is not taken away. You know, God wrote to specific churches in specific cities, but not specific buildings. He did this through his servant Paul to many different places. Bear in mind, he was not writing to a specific building. It was most likely a home or or many homes or even using borrowed buildings throughout these times. In Romans 16, Paul writes this, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Notice, you ought to do this. You ought to go through all of the letters in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. At no time is the church, when, when, when... when any of these authors talk about the church, at no time ever, not a single time, are they talking about a building. Never once. Never in that context. Ever. They borrowed buildings. They borrowed buildings in Acts chapter 2. They borrowed the temple. That was the Jewish temple. And the Christian church said, well, let's, let's meet. Let's have a lesson. Where do we go? I don't know. Here's a big building right here. Let's just go in here. As long as nobody's going to kick us out. So they borrowed a building. And they started learning things. They started being the church in and around their homes in Acts, around Jerusalem. I think perhaps the most obvious example is in James's address. So we're in James two or James 1, 2 through 4. Just go back one more verse, right at the beginning of the letter, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Scattered among the nations. He's writing to the church, and he has no idea where they are. Yet he's writing, and it becomes a part of the Word of God, this church scattered among the nations, as these these Jewish believers in Christ scattered among the nations. This is not an excuse, though. Now, don't assume that it is an excuse to discontinue fellowship. We must continue to meet because it is beneficial for each one of us. And by the way, that's a command in Scripture. In Hebrews 10, you find this a lot. We read this a lot. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds Not giving up meeting together, guys, as some are in the habit of doing, I added the guys there, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Continue to meet, but how we do it, how we do it, church, is never guaranteed. The way we do it is a gift, particularly in Western culture. This is a tremendous gift. I mean, this is the way we do church in Western culture was never done that way leading up to uh, fairly recently. People met in the temple courts. People met in their homes. There's bodies today that don't even want a building. I know of one in Indiana. I know of three in Texas uh, that have been growing and flourishing for many years, and they absolutely do not even want a building. No, 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 no. We want to drive home the point that this is not the church, that the church is you. The church is where you go. The church is every day. You could be a part of this incredible ministry, this incredible organization. In fact, if you really want to know, you can give them a call or give them an email. Uh, Glenn and Jessica Shady in France. I mean, they know better than anybody. Sometimes it's this building here. Sometimes it's rented over there. Sometimes it's in their home. Sometimes it's down at the park. Sometimes it's this. Sometimes it's that. They're building the church in France without a building. It's incredible. 
This building is not the church. Second thing we've learned this past year, or again, probably reminded, not so much learned, but been reminded of. Second thing is this. There are some things, believe it or not, that you cannot control. There are some things you cannot control, but you can control you, okay? You can control your actions or you can control your reactions to the things you cannot control. This is a promise that we have been given. This is one of the fruits, the results, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit in the believer in Jesus Christ. We are given not just the ability, but we are given the conviction to self-control, to self-control. By the way, it's really important you put that self on there, okay? We're not given the ability to all control or everything control or others control. We're not granted that gift and that right. We're granted a spirit of self-control. And sometimes we think of self-control as withholding, right? We, 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 uh, we don't want to lose our temper, right, when it comes to losing our temper, or self-control when it comes to desires of the flesh. But it's also self-control actively. We get a chance to control our minds, our hearts. Church, you get a chance to control your fears, You get a chance to control your obedience to the Word, obedience to Jesus Christ. You get a chance to control the love that you show. We've said this a million times, love is active. Love is something you do. It is a decision of the will to show love. And you get control over that. You have no control over anything else. Whether anybody's going to receive that, be receptive to it, whether anybody's going to like it or hate it, nope. But you've got control to do it, to show it. And you have control over the faith that you show. Bottom line is this. There is power given to the Christian through the Holy Spirit of God to not lose our heads in the face of trial. And in fact, if we do lose our heads, and I don't know how else to say it. That's a good way to say it. You know what I mean. If we do lose our heads in the face of trials because we have given up on the Spirit of God, we have given over to fear, we have given over to panic, we have given over to selfishness, we've given over to pride, we've given over to hopelessness, we've given over to many things. But we are given power to not lose our heads. Second Timothy 1.7, for the Spirit of God, the Spirit God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and that's self-control, that's self-discipline. We have the ability to control our actions towards others. We have the ability to control our actions towards things that we can't control. We have the ability to control our reactions when things are hard or out of the ordinary. And by the way, when we talk about self-control, if we lose our self-control, there isn't anybody else in the world to blame, is there? Boy, that'd be nice, isn't it? I lose my self-control. I lose my temper and I get to blame a million other people. Well, it's because of this, because of that, because of this, because of that. Nope. It's because of you. That's your self-control, and it's a gift you've been given. And we could do this in the face of hardship and adversity. I think one of the best examples is Job. People have been talking about Job a lot over the past year, right? Job had it rough, okay? If you've had the sniffles, you've not had it rough. Job had it rough. Job was tested. You guys know the story, right? We get to see the backstory a little bit that uh, Satan went, went before God himself 
God asks him, Satan, where have you been doing? What have you been up to? Satan says, I've been going in and out through the world trying to tempt people, trying to destroy people. And this is basically where God sets up his champion, right? He says, let me ask you, have you taken Job on yet? Because this is my guy, this is my champion right here. I'm going to pit my champion against you, Satan. And that's what God does. He says, if you considered my servant Job, he, he, he's, he's a righteous man, he's faithful, he's upright. God says, you could test him, but you can't hurt him. <clears throat> you can't hurt his body. You can't kill him. Nothing physical on his body. And so, what happens to Job? Job loses his crops, he loses his livestock, loses his house, loses his kids. It's as bad as it gets. I'll tell you, that's a storm right there. It's as bad as it gets. And what was Job's response in Job chapter 1, 20-22? He says this, At this, Job got up, tore his robes, shaved his head. This is, this is sadness. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Verse 22, in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. What kind of perspective is that? What kind of faith is that? What kind of, of, of lifestyle? This is, this is what makes him up. This acknowledging who God is and that God is good regardless of all of these horrible and bad things that happen. What God wants is the way it ought to be, the way it should be. And he remains faithful. In fact, he keeps his integrity intact. That's what God says. He has maintained his integrity. And Satan says, well, no wonder he's done that. You haven't hurt him. Hurt his body. And then I guarantee you, he will curse you to your face. And so God allows sores and just bad, horrible stuff to happen to Job's body. And what was Job's response even to that? Job 2, 9 through 10, his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. I'm sure that was a lovely union. Um, I don't know what dinner time conversation was like. I can't think of a worse thing that you could say to another human being. Curse God and die. Thank you, sweetie. Uh, verse 10, he replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. You talk about control. That's restraint right there. You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And all this, Job did not sin in what he said. See, he knows. Job realizes he can control his thoughts, his mind, his attitude, his actions. Even in the face of all of this stuff that he couldn't control. There's a ton of stuff you can't control. But you can control you. And even God says that he's a man of integrity. A righteous man. And he is this champion he puts up against Satan. Ultimately, Job being victorious. Getting yelled at by God at the end, but also being victorious. I'm reminded of the blind man, born from birth, blind. Had no control over this. And Jesus is walking along, his disciples ask him, hey, here's a blind guy. What happened? Did he sin or did his parents sin? In other words, who had control over this? Jesus said nobody had control over this. It just happened. And the reason it happened, Jesus says, is so that the power of God may be displayed in his life. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing that comes out of something bad that we cannot control. Third thing, third thing we've learned over this past year, <clears throat> or been reminded of over this past year, 
Down south, right, a lot of hurricanes, a lot of storms blew through, a lot of storms. In fact, you know, Lynn and Julie were affected a little bit, uh, not much, uh, but, but a little bit. Uh, a lot of, lot of bad stuff happening. Here's the thing about at least down south, down in Florida and, uh, you know, that area, the edge of Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, those, those areas. It's going to happen again next year, Okay. I mean, I'm always fascinated by the guy that's out there in the jean shorts, the tank top, looking out there. He's on the news saying, it took us by surprise. I couldn't believe it that we had a storm blow through. Man, you had one last year, and you're going to have one next year. Storms come and storms go, church. You had a storm last year. Sometime, some point, maybe it was a big storm, maybe it was a little storm. You had a storm in your life. You might be going through a storm right now. And I guarantee you, you're going to have a storm next year, maybe the year after. I don't know. They vary in degrees of intensity, but you're going to have storms. What we do in the middle of the storm defines our faith. What we do in the middle of the storm defines our life. Not at the beginning of the storm, when everything's going well, and you think maybe it'll miss you, and the sky is still blue. It's not at the end of the storm. When you look around, feel yourself, look at your house, make sure that's not crushed. You look around and say, okay, we made it. No, it's in the middle of the storm. That's what defines your faith. That's what defines who you are, what you are. You see, so often we prove Satan right. Remember, Satan goes to God and he says, hey, I've been you know, looking around looking for somebody to tempt. And God says, hey, pick Job. Job is faithful. Job is righteous. But Satan comes back and he says, well, of course he is. In Job 1, 9 through 11, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has in it? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. See, sometimes we make Satan right. I love worshiping Jesus and Jesus is good. The church is wonderful. I want to be involved in ministry and I want to love this and I want to take this risk and I want to work and I want to... Until the storm comes. And once we're in the middle of the storm, see, that's when we turn around, we start giving up. We say, this is bad. This is horrible. I'm out of here. This is too much. Apparently, God doesn't keep his promises, whatever it may be. Church is the faith you show in the middle of the storm. And while deliberately cursing God is not really that common in our culture, lack of faith or giving up on his word or his presence, that's the same thing. It's just as bad. Remember what Jesus said when he calmed the storm. He was in the boat, the disciples were in the boat, Jesus was asleep, and the disciples were going nuts because there's a storm out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They wake Jesus up, Jesus calms the storm with his voice, and then he turns around and he asks him a question. He says, why were you so afraid? Did you still not have any faith? Losing their heads in the middle of the storm. Storms come and storms go. I'm reminded of the, the spies that went to went into Canaan, the 12 spies sent out by the Israelites into Canaan. You'll find this in the Old Testament, particularly in Numbers 13 and 14. Moses sends out 12 spies. They're on the edge of the promised land. All you got to do is cross the river. They're on the edge of the promised land. And Moses says, send out, we're going to send out 12 guys to see how, see if, see why, see where we're going to take over this land. And so he sends out 12 guys into the kingdom, into the joy, the peace, the direction of God, the testimony about God. But when faced with the enemy, when faced with the storm, 10 out of 12 of those guys say, nope, we're out. We're out. It's too much. They just crossed the desert. 
and they get face to face with a hardship, a confrontation, a storm in life, and 12, 10 out of the 12 say, we can't do this. We're done. We're running away. The worst thing is they go to the rest of the population and they say, we can't do it. And the rest of the population wants to go to the faithful, Jacob and, or Joshua and Caleb, and they want to kill them. They want to kill them. They're on the, they can see, the they can pick up a stone and hit the promised land. And because of the unfaithfulness, because of the fear in the midst of the storm that spreads through the Israelite nation, they want to kill Joshua, they want to kill Caleb, they want to kill Moses, they want to kill Aaron when they're on the doorstep of success because they can't face that storm. Basically, that's what it says in Numbers 13. I won't read all that for you. That's what happens. Ultimately, the people couldn't go in, at least not that generation. Only Joshua and Caleb went into the promised land. There's such a major difference between victory and failure. And that, that major difference is what James is talking about, that perseverance. John 16 says this, I've told you these things. This is Jesus saying this. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Guys, storms come and storms go. And they will all our lives. Forget about the beginning and forget about the end. What you do in the middle defines who you are. Defines your faith. Fourth thing is this. In light of everything we've just talked about, there are some things we need to remember, but mainly this. We have to be patient with each other. And I mean patient with the people sitting around you right now. You've got to be patient with each other. You've got to be patient with me. I've got to be patient with you. We've got to be patient with each other. We've got to work with each other. And I'll tell you something else. This is what we talked about in our elders meeting the other night. We have to be strong for each other. We've got to be strong for each other. There are people in this church that really took a beating last year. And there are people in this church that didn't take much of a beating last year. And I'm telling you, it is important for you to be strong for people around you. To carry them along. Help them to see that there's still love, that, 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 that this, this peace and this joy we have in Jesus Christ in the kingdom can still be a part of their life, needs to be a part of their life. We need to be strong for one another, and we need to keep our word. We need to keep our word. This is the single greatest problem. It's the single greatest problem in the church. It's the greatest problem not in the church. It's the greatest problem in relationships and marriages. People don't keep their word anymore. That's lack of faith. That's all that is. Going back on our word, we profess our faith in Jesus. We profess our trust in Jesus as Lord, and then we flee. If not physically, we flee spiritually, mentally, emotionally. If you don't want to give your word, don't give your word. But if you do, if you give your life to Jesus and keep your word. I'm reminded of Jonathan, the son of Saul. Uh, Saul's the king, Jonathan's his son, and and. The entire Israelite army is just being attacked. They're back into a, into a cave, basically. They have no weapons. The Philistines are coming down on them, about ready to destroy them. Saul's lost it at this point. And so Jonathan says, hey, look, I'm going to go take care of this. I'm going to go defend all of Israel, defend the entire army, just me. And he starts heading towards the Philistines with, like, with the only sword they have, the only weapon they have left. He turns around and he finds out he's not going alone. There's somebody else who goes along with him. We don't even know his name. It's a great story in Scripture. It's Jonathan's armor bearer. His armor bearer goes along with him. 
Wherever Jonathan's going to go, he's going to go. Wherever his Lord goes, he's going to go. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna fight with him. He's going to help carry him. He's going to help take him along. 1 Samuel 14, verse 7, Do all you have in mind, that is his armor bearer saying this, Go ahead, I am with you heart and soul. And so Jonathan, the prince, the king, the Lord, starts moving in towards the enemy. And the servant, the armor bearer, comes and follows him. No matter where he goes, the servant's going to follow. Come what may, he's dedicated to his task. Dedicated to the word, he's dedicated to his Lord. That same dedication to our Lord is shown, perhaps not in wielding a sword, but in carrying those around you. And you need to do that. I, I mean it. You need, and sometimes it, it, it's the simple fact of having a conversation. Sometimes it's the simple fact of having the proper attitude in the face of difficulty and trial. It's beneficial. Sometimes you just need to get the job done. All of those things we've learned this past year. The last thing we've learned is this. And, and, and again, I think these are, there's multiple things that we can learn. This is just a few. This is just some of the things that we've learned over the past year. The final thing that we've learned is this. You've got to keep moving. You've got to keep moving. You've got to keep going somewhere. You have to keep growing somewhere. Just because there are storms on the horizon, just because bad things happen, doesn't mean that you stop. It doesn't mean that you cower. Just because there's a change of direction or a change of plan or a change of goal in your life doesn't mean that you stop, go backwards, or even start at square one. We have goals here in this church. You know some of these goals that we've been working towards and actually got really, I mean, we're doing really, really well <laughs> until last year. I hate last year. No, I don't hate last year. I've told you this already, right? You see inside your bulletin, you see these people that are saved. Don't tell me it's a bad year. It's a wonderful year. Wonderful year for people being saved for Jesus. But it's also a year where we need to make some adjustments and some changes. It doesn't mean you stop. It means you change. The kingdom of God is here and now. Our goal as Christians is not to accept Jesus and then wait around to die. Okay? That's not our job. That's not our goal. Our goal is to accept Jesus and then work in the kingdom of God, help in the kingdom of God, build the kingdom of God, help those around you. Our job, our goal is to respond to the love of Christ, be useful to the building of the kingdom and service to others. It means as a person and a church, we have to be going somewhere, not just existing. We, know, we need to go from acceptance to discipleship. We need to go from just the acceptance of Christ to actually following Christ. The church itself needs to minister where it can, how it can, and all the places it can, even though the best laid plans change. By the way, next year we're going to go through Galatians. That's going to be our, our big series next year, Letter to the Galatians. You know, the Galatians heard the gospel message because Paul's plans changed. Ironically, the Galatians heard the gospel message because Paul got sick. Paul got sick. And instead of preaching in some of the places he wanted to, he went on to Poseidon Antioch and then to the area of Galatia to recover. And it was because of that that the Galatians heard this gospel message from Paul. And he writes back to them, and we have this letter now that we can continue to learn from. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel message that he lays out, justification by faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to go through that next year. But that's what happened. Paul's plans changed. And because of that, our lives changed. Our lives 
get to experience this letter to the Galatians. I don't know why. Why would he got sick from malaria or something? But the point is he didn't stop. He merely changed direction. We have seen many lessons over the last year. We've been reminded of many lessons over the last year. Next week we look at where we're going. Not just where we've been and what we've learned, but where we're going. We see some of this direction, some of these plans change. But we also see laid out before us a way and a place to go from the acceptance of Christ into this complete fellowship, fellowship with Jesus in the kingdom of God. That's our goal for 2021. And actually, I'm excited about it. I'm excited. It's going to be a beautiful ride. It's going to be a beautiful journey. The worst part, worst part, highs and lows. The worst part about the game is when it ends. We get to keep playing this year. We get to keep playing. We get to keep working, serving, living. It's a beautiful thing. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love that you showed to us. We thank you for the chances, the opportunities, the lessons. We thank you for the highs and the lows. We thank you that we still get to keep playing the game. We still keep being able to serve and to be challenged and and not know what tomorrow's going to bring. And we still get to sacrifice and we still get to grow and, and all these wonderful things. We thank you we get to experience evening and sunrises. We get to experience beautiful moments, people showing love to one another. We get to experience the church moving and working and growing around the world. We get to experience the truth of the joy of Jesus Christ for eternity in the presence of Jesus. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for the the, the lives that were saved over this past year, who came to know Jesus, give their lives to Jesus, saved forever. We thank you, Father. We thank you for last year. And we thank you for this year. Father, help us as we go forward to learn from the past, but to build, build the kingdom of God in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and say. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever breathe. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Oh, we live for you. And holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Jesus, the name above every other name. 
Unfortunately, the Woodruffs aren't going to be worshiping with us anymore. I just hit Sarge in the face with a candy cane. That's what you get for screwing around. I, I'm sorry. I just, right between the eyes. Um, <laughs> hey, that's the way it goes. I hope, uh, I hope you do have a good year. I hope you're excited about this year and the things that the church can do, the things that we can do in the kingdom of God. Uh, look, it's an opportunity. Every time, every moment, every day, it's an opportunity to serve Jesus Christ. Use that. Use that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love that you have shown us on the cross through Jesus. That's why we're here. We're here to thank you for Jesus. We're here to live in response to the life that Jesus has given us. Father, help us. Help us to see this as a gift. Help us to see this as a moment where the church can go and move and spread and begin to teach, begin to help, begin to minister to those around us. Even when we leave this place, no matter where we go, the church goes with us. Father, we thank you for that opportunity. In Jesus' name.